Thank you so much, and uh, what a joy to, uh, to be here today with you. Uh, this combined service, uh, the timings have completely thrown me off uh, today, but uh, you have done well. You're here for our 10.30 service. We've got a couple more of these coming up, Christmas Day and uh, Boxing Day. Uh, but those of us here on team that are very used to the rhythm of a 9.15, 11.30, it's been very confusing. But uh, absolutely brilliant. And obviously, we're adjusting the morning uh, because of the carol services later on today. Uh, if you're booked in, we're, we're just uh, thrilled uh, that we're going to see you later on, 4.30, 7 o'clock. Uh, as you heard in the notices, if you've not got a ticket, uh, please don't turn up. Please uh, join us online. And uh, it is going to be a fantastic afternoon and evening. So grateful for the team that have uh, put so much work in. And, you know, just hearing the news about Gabriel, I'm sure many of us are reeling. Certainly, uh, we were reeling when we found out just before the service. And, uh, you know, we love this young man so much. And we know God's hand is on his life. And uh, the call of God is on his life. And uh, we are confident, uh, not only that he will come through this, uh, but actually in the midst of it, God will be at work because he always is. And uh, so uh, we lift them up and do continue to pray for Gabriel and Precious. Um, and yet we, I'm also aware that how the enemy tries to work. And uh, in a day where probably we'll have more guests who don't yet know Jesus in the house than any other day, uh, that the enemy will try and piggyback this. You always got to watch out for the piggyback. You know, I, I came to understand many years ago that the enemy uh, is not a creator. God is a creator. But the enemy will piggyback. He'll try and jump on things. Sometimes things happen in our lives. And I'm not saying that the Lord orchestrates everything that happens. Sometimes he allows things that happen. But the enemy has a habit of wanting to come on the back of what is going on in our lives, either circumstantially, things that God has allowed or even God has orchestrated. And will try and sow seeds of doubt, will try and ruffle you, uh, rock you, and try and pervert what God wants to do. And I, I want to say to you, beware the piggyback. And uh, so we watch out. And so even today, uh, we pray for Gabriel. You know, I'm reeling like you're reeling. Um, but at the same time, uh, I'm aware today that God is about a great work in the house. And people are going to find Jesus today. And so let's hold our nerve. Continue to pray. Be prayerful. If you've got guests coming, we're going to have a great celebration here today. Well, uh, see, it's fallen on me, as uh, Esther said, at short notice, but I'm going to take us to uh, an Advent passage that I love and I'm familiar with enough to share some thoughts from today. So if you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and uh, we are going to look at the, uh, the Archangel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah and the promise that comes, uh, the forerunner before he then appears uh, six months later to Mary and announces the coming of Jesus into the world. And I'm going to read several verses to us here. Uh, we don't have annotations for this message, so you just need to lean in. And if you've got a Bible, uh, pull it up with me. This is Luke 1. I'm going to read all the way from verse 5 to verse 28. This is what the Bible says. In the time of King Herod, or Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth had not been able to conceive, and they were both very old. 
Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lots according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Very tactful. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and will not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Amen. Well, we are going to leave this reading there. I want us to understand today that uh, when Gabriel comes and speaks to Zechariah, uh, who is married to Elizabeth, the, the child that he speaks will come is John the Baptist. Uh, you've probably heard of John the Baptist. So this one that is born, that is going to go in the spirit of Elijah, is the one that goes ahead of Jesus. I want us to understand that John the Baptist was not the warm-up act to Jesus. Their coming was the fulfillment of prophecy, and their lives were intertwined. In fact, when Mary goes after Gabriel has appeared to her, and she goes and finds uh, she finds Elizabeth, her cousin, and it says, when she announced what Gabriel had said to her, that John the Baptist leapt in Elizabeth's womb, filled with the Holy Spirit, even from before birth. This is an amazing uh, coming together of the purpose of God, the promise of God, what God has prophesied many years ago. If you want a title for today, the title of my message is, Where Are You Standing? Where Are You Standing? John the Baptist, Jesus said of him, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Now think about that. There's Abraham, there's Moses, there's Elijah, but he says, of those born of women, no one is greater than John. John comes fulfilling the word of the prophet. 
one that is going to go ahead to prepare the way for the Lord. He affirms Jesus. Can you imagine? I don't know if you've thought about this. Jesus is born a baby, fully God, but fully man. But we understand that he laid aside his, his divine attributes, his all-knowingness, his all-power. So this baby is born not knowing absolutely everything, but a, but a baby. And at what point did Jesus understand that he was God the Son? I, I don't know if you've thought about this, but at some point he grows up and he begins to understand who he is. I don't know how this works, but he's the only one who really knows. Some words have been spoken and the Bible says Mary treasured these things up in her heart. And yet Jesus must have some point understood who he was, that he is the Messiah. I, I just don't think he understood this when he's in the manger. But at some point, this is incubating in him, and he realizes who he actually is and where he has come from, which is why at the age of 12, he's able to, go, to say to his parents, well, where did you expect me to be? I was in my father's house. But can you imagine when at the age of 30, he comes out of the wilderness after a long fast, and John the Baptist sees him, and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one. Can you imagine that affirmation that Jesus feels, that his cousin understands as well? There is another voice in the earth that recognizes he is who he says he is. It's interesting when, when uh, Jesus is questioned by the chief priest and he's asked, where did you get your authority from? Do you know what he says, says to them? He says, I'll answer that if you answer this. Was John the Baptist from God or not? Now, Jesus, I don't think Jesus is just giving them a trick question. I think there is a clue here. You see, when a rabbi brought a new interpretation of the scriptures, he was called a shmike rabbi. And, and a shmike rabbi bringing a new yoke or a new slant on the scriptures came. They needed the voice of two other rabbis to affirm them. And Jesus says, I'll tell you where I got my... They're saying, who are the voices? Who authorized you? And he says, was John the Baptist from God or not? And they said, well, we, we can't answer that because if we say yes, then the people say, why didn't you believe him? If we say no, there's going to be a riot. So they don't ask him anything. But I think Jesus is saying, when I was baptized, John the Baptist affirmed me and a voice came from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. Those were my two voices. He's saying, John the Baptist is my pastor. John the Baptist was coming to authorize the coming of Christ in the earth, to speak out some words. And this is an incredible encounter here as the angel comes to Zechariah. Let's come back to Zechariah. Zechariah belonged to the division of Abijah. Every descendant of Aaron was a priest in Israel, and Zechariah was a priest in Israel. He had to marry a wife of unbroken Jewish lineage, and the Bible tells us this is true of Elizabeth. At the time, there were about 20,000 priests in Israel, and all of them got to serve on three occasions of Pentecost, the Passover, and Tabernacles. But the rest of the time, they served by division. There were 24 divisions, there were about 800 priests in a division, and, and they would come two weeks of a year, their division would come up, so 800 of them. And over those two weeks, there would be a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice, 28 sacrifices, and your lot might come up. Out of the 800, you might be one of the 28 which meant that some priests would go their whole lives and never serve in the holy place. And here we understand that Zechariah's lot comes up. I want us to understand that God has been watching over his word for hundreds of years. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, 
And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 700, six, 700 years earlier in Micah. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one whose days are from eternity. 600 years God is watching over his word. And it is about to come to pass. And Gabriel appears to Zechariah. This is the moment where the 400 years from Malachi, where there has been silence, something is beginning to birth. This is an incredible moment. And Zechariah is there. His lot comes up. And he's there in the purpose of God. Scholars have worked out that the service of Abijah would have taken place on the 17th day of the third month, which meant that the reading on that day would have been of the Nazarite vow. Now, if you understand number six in the Nazarite vow, this is the vow that's given to John the Baptist. This is the vow that is given to Samson, whose parents were barren. Isn't God awesome? That here in this place, watching over his word for hundreds of years, here's Zechariah, also barren, and he says, I'm going to give a Nazarite vow of no fermented drink over this one. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. God is watching meticulously over his word and bringing something awesome to pass. I want to bring out four quick thoughts for us here today. Number one, heaven may be silent, but the Lord watches over his word. Heaven may be silent, but the Lord watches over his word. 600 years, 700 years, the promise of the Savior, the Messiah that is to come. And, and the word has been spoken and it is there. You know, the promise of God says, my word will not return to me void. And he's watching over his word and at the perfect time, he brings it to pass. You know, I don't know about you but I'm so grateful that the Lord has spoken some things over my life. I don't know any of you are carrying promises, carrying prophetic words, carrying something that God has spoken. Let me remind you today that he is the one who watches over his word. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have prayed for a child and, and God has heard that. I don't know whether he promised them anything, but he is the one who watches over. He hears our prayer and he watches over our, his word. The Lord spoke to me about something in 2007. I've, I've got it framed in my office and every year he brings it to pass. A promise that I stand on in my own life. I'm so grateful for the word of God, for the promise of God. Heaven may be silent, but the Lord watches over his word. Maybe there's something that you're believing for, something uh, over your children, something that God promised. It might seem a long way from coming to pass today, but let me tell you, God watches over his word. Hold on. Though it may tarry, wait for it. Secondly, I, I want us to consider that for a miracle child, you need a period of barrenness. Let me say that again. For a miracle child, you need a period of barrenness. You see, John the Baptist was a miracle child. I, I think, actually, this was important that John the Baptist was a miracle child, that he was no ordinary child. Something extraordinary had to happen around John the Baptist because what was happening was utterly unprecedented. Here we are today speaking about John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus who was coming into the world. And yet to have a miracle child, you need a period of barrenness. Of course, the exception is the immaculate conception of Christ, which stands unique to this principle. But if you think in Scripture, there were so many significant ones that were born out of barrenness. Isaac and Samuel and 
Samson. Miracle children that came with a promise, that came in answer to prayer, not the usual path, but with the intervention of God. Someone once said, there's never a testimony without a test. What I'm I'm saying here, more than natural barrenness for a miracle child, that God works. God works in the midst of test and difficulty to bring forth testimony. We won't have a testimony without a test. There can't be healing without an illness. There won't be breakthrough without restriction. There can't be deliverance without, there is captivity. There can't be a resurrection without a death. And sometimes we walk through things that are tough, but it is the incubation process for a miracle. I don't want to speak out false hope today, but I want to breathe faith into us. And even as we consider this news that we've just heard today, I am confident that the Lord's hand is upon this young man who's part of our leadership. And I, I know that God is working uh, through all circumstances, the promise of God that he works all things together for good. And that somehow what Gabriel and Precious would not have expected to happen before Christmas, God is able to take these things and to turn them for good. But there's never a testimony without a test. God is at work. I'm so glad for the testimonies in our lives. I'm so glad we have stories to share with our children to say, let me tell you about what God did for us. But there was never a healing without a sickness. There was never supernatural provision without need and desperation. There was never an answer to prayer without there was need and there was challenge and there was difficulty. And so it may be with you. I want to encourage you today, maybe even in this moment, why don't we just pause and take a moment right now. You might be at home online, here in the room, going through challenge. And just bring it before the Lord. And know that that the challenge itself has the potential to be incubating a miracle. Just bring it to Him. It's so easy to get frustrated with, with challenge, with difficulty, with pain with sickness, the things that we wouldn't choose and we don't want. And yet in it, God can do incredible things. And we pray, God, would you watch over your purposes in the lives of your people. Bring forth answer in due time. In Jesus' name. The third thought for us today is that your trial and testimony could be part of a bigger picture. They could be part of a bigger picture. Can you imagine for Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, the culture is different. And I know it can be so challenging. Probably, I don't know, maybe one of the most challenging things that, that couples in our generation experience where they want a child and, and maybe struggle to conceive. And I, I understand walking pastorally with numbers of people, the pain and the challenge that this can bring. But in the day of Zechariah and Elizabeth, there was a, there was a degree of shame that was different. You know, Elizabeth's response is, is that God has taken away my disgrace from among the people. And I'm sure they prayed. In fact, the Bible tells us, Gabriel said, God has heard your prayer. And can you imagine, they're praying, they're praying through their challenge, through their pain, through the thing they wouldn't have chosen. That when they got married, they didn't see this coming. But when they didn't easily have a child and time went on and time went on and they're praying, they're calling out and they think it's their challenge and it is their challenge, but they have no idea it is part of something way bigger. 
they're, they're barren because God is about to bring forth a miracle child for which he needs barrenness in order to fulfill his word six, seven hundred years ago that the Christ is coming into the earth and one will go ahead of him to prepare the way. I want to sow this idea among us today that sometimes when we walk through challenge and we walk through difficulty, it can be part of something bigger that God is doing. Not only a testimony in our lives, not only a challenge that we are walking through to find God and to press into him, but God can use these things to have greater impact. You know, when Paul is in prison and he just wants to get out and, uh, and preach the gospel and plant churches, and there's nothing he can do except write to the churches that he already knows. But who knows that God was doing more behind his back than in front of his face? And so what he does, he sits down and he writes to the church at Corinth and he writes to the church in Philippi and he, he writes to the church in Colossae and he writes to the church in Ephesus. And forgive me, I'm not sure exactly every single which one was written from in prison, but I know most of the New Testament was written from in prison uh, under Paul. Because God was doing more behind his back than in front of his face. And I think if God could have said to him, Paul, do you want me to bust you out like I broke Peter out of prison so you can go and plant churches? Or would you be willing to stay here and write some letters which will become part of what's going to be called the canon of Scripture, the New Testament, and will be in the hands of billions of believers through the ages? Do you want to get out? Do you want to stay? I think he would have said, let me stay. Bring me a scribe. And here's Zechariah and Elizabeth are walking through challenge and difficulty and pain. And yet God is working to a bigger picture. I want to suggest to you as you hold on in faith what you might be walking through could be part of something bigger. Maybe your testimony will encourage somebody else further down the line. Maybe you'll need to have that so you can minister grace to them. Maybe what you're going through will enable you to reach out to someone and share the goodness of God. I know people even this year that have been in a hospital, didn't want to be hospitalized, but in being hospitalized have shared their faith and led others to the Lord. And you kind of go, well, okay, if I could have chosen to not be ill or I could have chosen to go and lead this person to the Lord, well, hey, how can you measure the value of a saved life? But my final thought today, why don't the band come and join me, is where you stand will affect everything. Where you stand will affect everything. Now, what impacts me out of this story more than anything else is Gabriel's response to Zechariah. You see, Zechariah, he, he's there. I want to be careful. I'm not trying to vilify Zechariah. The Bible tells us that he is an upright man, that he observed all the commandments without blame. At the end, when John the Baptist is born, uh, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he brings forth this incredible prophecy. Zechariah was an awesome, righteous man, but in this moment, he says, how can this be? You know, if I'd have been in his place, I'm not sure how I might have responded. But he says, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife, take note of this man, I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Very tactful. She's old as well. And he says, how can I be sure of this? And do you know what Gabriel says? He says, I stand in the presence of God. I stand in the presence of God. How can I be sure of this, he says. Contrast this with Mary, who a little bit later in 
the unfolding of Luke's gospel says, how will this be? There's a difference between how can and how will. She says, how will this be? She's just asking for a little more detail. But Zechariah is really saying, I don't believe it. I'm old and my wife is well, well along. How could this possibly be true? And he, he paints out to, to Gabriel the reason why it's not possible. I'm old. You know, maybe angels don't understand the, the cycle of a human body. You know, Gabriel doesn't say to him, oh, I didn't think about that. Let me knit back and speak to Almighty God just to check I've got the right person. I don't know much about biology. Do you know what he says to him? He says, I stand in the presence of God. What is he saying? I, I think he's, he, he's not saying, oh, good point. He's saying, do I look like I'm from around here? He said, I, I stand next to the Almighty. I'm in the presence of the Almighty, the Holy One, the Awesome One. I'm in the presence of the consuming fire. I'm in the presence of the Creator of the stars. I'm in the presence of the one who is before all things and is after all things, who upholds all things by the power of his word. I'm in the presence of the nothing is impossible God. I'm in the presence of let there be light God. I'm in the presence of the parter of the Red Seas God. I'm in the presence of about to enter the world in human form for the salvation of humanity, God. How dare you ask, how can this be? Have you any idea who God is? And it occurs to me, it's our proximity that makes the difference. Because Gabriel, it's unthinkable that something impossible could not be possible. Because he stands in the presence of God. He knows who he's next to. And he knows how awesome the one he is next to is. And he knows that it is not in any way too difficult for Elizabeth to conceive. She could be another 300 years old and it would not be a problem. Because he stands in the presence of God. The one who created the heavens and the earth. And Zechariah, a righteous man, he's there wrestling wrestling with his humanity, wrestling with his circumstance. And it serves me a warning to say, where am I standing? I might be serving on the altar, but am I standing in the presence of God? My friends, I want to encourage us to be a people that seek to stand in the presence of God. Last year, we, uh, last year, forgive me, last week, we spoke into prayer and fasting, a preparation for 21 days of prayer that will be coming. And that will be a special time for us to draw near to the presence of God. But friends, we don't need to wait for that. And I want encourage us right now. I wonder if we could begin to pray here just to quiet our hearts before the Lord. I know this is, for many of us, the busiest of seasons with so many challenges, so many difficulties. And we can have lists upon lists and be distracted. But in the midst of it, we run the risk of drifting out of the presence of God and seeing what we should be seeing with spiritual eyes, with natural eyes. We sing words like, I'll walk by faith and not by sight. And yet actually we don't because we're not proximate enough to the one who is over all things. And I'm just going to give us a moment say, Lord, here I am. I need your presence. I need your presence. In his presence, our faith rises. 
In his presence, we see things differently. In his presence, perspective changes. In his presence, we know that the things we we were questioning are going to be all right. In his presence, we, we stop fearing and we find peace. I'm going to invite us before the band lead us in a final song just to respond where we are you might need to begin to pray and say Lord I'm sorry I feel a long way from you but I recognize I need your presence you might want to stand in response and just say God let me be near you let me stand in your presence let me be close to you Some of you might even want to step out of your seat and come down the front. When the band start to lead us, or now you can do whatever you want to do. Some of you might want to kneel. But friends, let's not be passive in this moment, but respond to an invitation to come close to God, that our perspective might change. Holy God, holy God, Lord, may we take a lesson from Gabriel here, the archangel, whose response of of shock, almost disdain, because he stood right next to you in your holy and awesome eternal presence. And he was so convinced of who you are, the thought of something not being possible was absurd. It was absurd to him as it was absurd to Zechariah that a miracle could happen in such a way. I pray God, help us to move closer that we would be a people, God, who stand in the presence of God, that when the storms of life come, when the, when the shock news is delivered, our feet are planted on a rock. We might need to adjust for a moment, but we know where we are. We know whose we are. Our confidence is sure. Our faith is certain. Holy Spirit, I pray minister to your people today as we bring this final song to you would you come and minister among us those joining online those here in the room come and presence yourself when you're ready why don't you stand as the band leaders